Welcome to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere. Welcome to the Center of Everywhere. Today, we're speaking with two Humphrey students who worked with the Center for Rural Policy this spring on their capstone project regarding childcare access for first-generation Latino migrants. I'd love if Zoe and Louis Ulysses, you just gave us a, a quick overview of who you are and, and what the purpose of this capstone project was as we start out. Yeah, I can go ahead and start. Thanks, Whitney. Um, my name is Zoe. I am a second year student at the Humphrey School studying uh, Masters of Human Rights. And within that master's program, I have program, I've been focusing on migration um, and issues that migrant communities face in the U.S. Um, so I was excited when I saw a project with CRPD to learn more about childcare access in particular for immigrant communities in, in rural areas of Minnesota. Um, and we really hoped that this project would highlight the experiences of Latino migrants who live in Worthington um, and their experiences trying to find childcare. And so when you started this project, what was your idea of of the purpose of it? Why did you want to um, speak to first-generation Latino migrants specifically? Why did you choose the city of Worthington as your main focus of study? Well, we the reason we chose um, uh, first-generation Latino immigrants is because uh, as we began our research, um, we realized that it, we needed to, to narrow down the scope of our research. And Worthington caught up our attention because, for one, we had no idea how large the Latino population was in the town of Worthington. And we soon found out that um, foreign born, the foreign-born population in Worthington and in Nobles County as a whole is greater than that of like the state of Minnesota. And we thought, perfect, we found our, our, um, our case study. Yeah, I think to add to that, um, I think case study is, is a helpful way to put it. That's what we were kind of hoping, you know, realizing that experiences finding childcare are going to differ, uh, I mean, have similarities and also differ a lot among different communities, different populations. Um, we chose to focus on Latino immigrants, given um, their large representation in Worthington and Nobles County. Um, but we also hope that similar um, studies and investigations can happen in, in other geographic areas, um, looking at other immigrant populations who uh, will have unique experiences. Um, so we tried to take a specific focus that we hope could be, could be replicated, looking at um, other populations that might face uh, somewhat different challenges and have different experiences looking for childcare. Absolutely. And could one of you maybe talk a little bit more about um, the demographics, industry, and community makeup of, of Worthington? And Because I think once we talk about that, it, it makes it really clear why this is a really great proxy for lots of other communities, not only in Minnesota, but really around the nation who are all struggling with this childcare deficit and also experiencing um, large influxes of uh, immigrants and refugees. Right. So, um, again, when looking at the population of Worthington, it has a large uh, Latino population. And we also learned that a lot of these um, uh, people, I work in large corporations like JBS and um, industrial uh, 
egg farms and chicken farms and things like that. And some of them even cross over to um, Iowa. Is that right? Zoe, right? Iowa? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a large presence of meatpacking in particular, um, which is what JBS does, as well as other agricultural industries like Ulysses was talking about. Um, and I mean, there are some places that we've kind of heard about, too, like during the COVID pandemic, for example, JBS and other large meatpacking employers were places where a lot of outbreaks were happening. Um, so it's, you know, something that we've heard about how particular or how issues like COVID, you know, um, impact immigrant workers, for instance, in a particular way, like the working conditions of being in the meatpacking plant. Um, so these were some themes that we'd, we'd heard about. Um, and we're interested in, in learning more about what is the experience of uh, Latino immigrant families and trying to find childcare, right, as they're trying to work in these industries, which are a major pull for people to migrate. Um, but the child care struggle still exists. Absolutely. And so what's the state of child care right now in Worthington? There's definitely a capacity deficit. A lot of the child care centers are located within Worthington. Um, so as a result, you see the largest number of capacity um, in the city of Worthington. But even so, um, as our research shows, we identified uh, the Worthington area to be a childcare desert. What What is the definition that you use for a childcare desert? Yeah, I can jump in. The, the definition is based off of a ratio. Um, so it's a ratio we found used in other research. Um, it's a somewhat commonly uh, used definition, right? Going off of ideas like food deserts um, and other ideas we've heard where there is struggle to access a certain resource. So as far as childcare, um, there is a three to one ratio that's considered. Um, if there are more than three children ages zero to five to every one childcare slot, then that's considered a childcare desert, right? So we can imagine it's not a one-to-one -one ratio where every child would have access to a, a childcare slot. Um, it's getting all the way up to three children for every slot and above. That's really considered a desert where there is a, a significant lack of capacity. Yeah, and what does that ratio look like in the city of Worthington? Yeah, what we found in Worthington um, was a ratio of about 3.2 to one. So getting just over that threshold of three to one that would be considered a childcare desert. Um, and then when we zoomed out and looked at Nobles County as a whole, the county that Worthington is a part of, we found that the county was a borderline childcare desert. The, the ratio was about 2.8 to one. So just under that uh, three to one threshold, which we still consider to be pretty significant, you know, imagining it's nearly three children to every one slot. Um, but it was an interesting finding, as Ulysses said, we, we saw that the city of Worthington was where a lot of childcare was actually located. But at the same time, that's the area where there was a higher ratio and a more significant uh, childcare desert status. Right. And, you know, one of the issues here, too, is it's not just capacity, it's also price and cost. And so I know, Ulysses, you did a little bit of um, data collection, correct, on the cost of child care. So not only is Worthington, the city of Worthington and Nobles County, you know, in this kind of nebulous zone of like 
just on that verge of, of childcare desert, what does the cost look like for an average family in that community to send their child um, to daycare? Right. So um, our research showed that um, all of Nobles County faces um, high cost burden, actually. Only one um, uh, census tract, or no, census block group showed um, to be the lowest in all of Nobles County. But even then, it was within the 7 to 8% range. And it's important to note that anything above 7% of childcare costs from someone's um, income is already uh, significantly high. So well, that's the problem. Um, also, um, it is actually within the center of Worthington where we see the highest cost burden for families. And that's also where we see the largest concentration of the Latino population. Right. And so when you say seven and eight percent, that's like eight percent of a household's entire income, correct? Right. Yeah. Sorry. We were using um, um, household median income. Yeah. And I mean, eight percent of income, that's no joke. Right. Even thinking about your average, any any of our average paycheck. Right. But I remember, too, reading your paper, you know, there were some areas, too, where the, the cost burden was 13, 14 percent. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just want to add that, um, you know, our study looked at the Latino population, but the cost burden, it, 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 it encapsulates every, every demographic group within Nobles County. So this affects everyone, not just the Latino population. Mm -hmm. That's right. the biggest takeaway. Yeah, sorry. No, that's a really, really excellent point. And, you know, at the Center for Rural Policy, we've talked a lot about the childcare uh, deficit in rural Minnesota writ large. But part of the reason we wanted to collaborate with you on this project is to take a closer look at, um, you know, BIPOC experiences like accessing childcare because we know on average they make a little bit lower incomes. It's also the fastest growing. Dem like demographic in rural Minnesota. And, and so how does lack of childcare impact immigrant families then differently than say a middle-class white family in Worthington? Yeah, I think um, that's something we are really interested in and we wanted to be sure to set the context with some of this more numerical data that we were just talking about, you know, looking at capacity deficits and looking at price. Um, as really significant factors that affect all families. But in addition to that, um, we did interviews with first-generation Latino immigrant families to learn more about, you know, more in depth and more personally, what were some of the other challenges that they faced, maybe in addition to capacity and costs. Um, so we heard about a lot of things. Unfortunately, there were many barriers and challenges um, that families talked about, as well as childcare providers and local officials. Um, and Nobles County also recognized a lot of barriers that exist. Um, so some of the, the main ones I can point out, uh, definitely language is a huge barrier for most of the families we talked to. Um, preferred Spanish or only spoke Spanish. Um, so just that very uh, basic language access of um, most providers in the area only speaking English. Um, this group of families only speaking Spanish, that's a major barrier. Um, so we heard about families, um, you know, having older children who might support them and being able to um, do interpretation 
uh, or other families who worked really hard in an English class to try to prepare questions they had for a childcare provider, um, but still maybe not having that level of um, of English proficiency to, to really ask the important questions of a childcare provider, right? When you're going to leave your kids with someone. Um, so language was a big one, um, as well as schedules. Um, a lot of families uh, who worked in meatpacking plants and other um, industries in the area had really early start times, like maybe a 6 a.m. Uh, shift start. And a lot of childcare centers only opened at eight or nine. Um, so that was a big access issue um, that we heard a lot about from families as well. Um, and then one, one last one um, among, among some others is um, the, the, the fears that exist um, as far as potential immigration consequences for families who might not have status or might have mixed status within their family. Um, going to a formal childcare provider requires you to fill out a lot of forms and give a lot of information. Um, and families do have reason to fear um, negative immigration consequences um, from filling out some of that information. So that was also a, a barrier that we heard about. Right. And, you know, I think those barriers that you brought up, just those three, you know, among many, they really speak to this idea of trust and community building or lack thereof, right? I mean, you think about a parent, they're sending their child, like their future, right, into someone else's care who maybe they don't speak the same language or they don't have like adequate ways of like actually like communicating and understanding each other or the same cultural preferences or the food, right, that is being served their children. And, and so I really see this, concept of trust being a really, really major barrier to uh, childcare access outside of, you know, like the more material barriers of language, right? Often people can't really control what languages they speak or what they, or what they don't speak, right? But we can control the way we are doing outreach. And so I'm wondering here, did you see in your research a concerted effort, right, to build trust among Latino families, or were they mostly just on their own in trying to find care for their children? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think there there are efforts. You know, I think a lot of people in the Worthington area and the Nobles County are very aware that they have a really large and growing uh, population of Latino immigrants, people who speak only Spanish or prefer Spanish. Um, so I think that there definitely are efforts happening, but at the same time, you know, another thing we really heard from families was a lack of information, um, a lack of personal connections, which made finding trusted care hard. Um, families really emphasized wanting to personally know the, the care providers they were using or wanting to have a personal recommendation from someone that, yes, this is a good provider. Um, but they found it hard to, to get that kind of information, um, as well as information about um, programs that are available. For example, the child care assistance program um, that's administered through the county can help um, with some of the financial assistance. Um, but most families that we spoke with were not aware of, of this program, um, which we thought could also have some big impacts uh, looking at just how high the cost is. Um, so I think there still is 
that lack of information um, or difficulties having that information flow to Latino immigrant families um, in, in their preferred language. Right, and from reading your study too, it, it seemed that because of this lack of access, it led to a lot more informal childcare arrangements among uh, first-generation Latino families. Could you talk a little bit about like what informal childcare looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in addition to looking at the barriers and the challenges, we also wanted to look at access to childcare and realizing that, you know, in light of these challenges, families still find ways to, to use care, to, you know, find an arrangement to be able to continue working. Um, so we saw a few different care arrangements that families tended to use. Um, some of them were within the nuclear family itself, where one parent would stay home from work and care for the children, um, or the parents would each work opposite shifts. So one person went to work and the other parent cared for the kids at home. Um, and then outside of the nuclear family, we also saw some other care arrangements. Um, where sometimes extended family members were able to watch children, but that also required them to not have another job usually to be able to have the schedule um, to care for the children. Um, or informal providers who were friends, people in the neighborhood, um, other people within the Latino immigrant community, um, they were also a, a service that uh, families used, these more informal providers who maybe didn't have a childcare license um, so we heard all different experiences from families. Um, some families had really positive experiences with these providers. They were able to communicate in the same language. Um, these providers often had more flexible schedules if families had to work very early in the morning. Um, but other families saw some trade-offs of, you know, these providers are not as formal as maybe a childcare center. And they really wanted for their children to be in a, an environment that had formal learning opportunities and formal planned activities that maybe weren't happening in the same way uh, with an informal provider. Absolutely. And could you talk a little bit too about, you know, the, the, the county or um, city side of uh, childcare access? So I know Nobles County recently received um, wasn't it a grant right for um, uh, improving childcare access? And I know you spoke to a few people at that level. Could you tell me a little bit about like what is the governance side of trying to address this deficit, particularly for immigrant families? Or conversely, is that not happening as well as you would like it to? Yeah. I can start out and then Ulysses, I'll hand it to you if you have anything to add as okay. well. Um, but yeah, that's right. Nobles County recently received a grant from the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development. Um, so, you know, really recognizing the connection between um, employment and getting parents able to work and, and access to childcare. Um, so they did receive that grant to kind of continue studying this issue and finding ways to improve access. Um, I think a sentiment that we heard in some of our interviews with people who work in uh, local government or in other um, administrative agencies is that there's been research um, conducted and there continues to be research conducted, 
but there's still not a lot of action steps um, or, you know, plans to increase capacity and plans to improve access. Um, so I think we're hoping that this information from this study can really inform um, some of the next steps by, you know, uplifting the experiences that immigrant, Latino immigrant families have um, so that as access is expanded, it's also expanded in a way that takes equity in, into consideration and the particular needs that um, the families might have. Yeah, and um, yeah, I guess I just want to add to that, like um, regarding um, supporting ch uh, childcare um, at the governance level. Um, I think you know it's also important to recognize that um, it a lot of it also comes down to like I guess budgeting and um, the allocation of funding for these programs. Um, and what's more is that, and this is just my view from like the research that we've done, a lot of it can be fixed with um, immigration reform. <laughs> Um, because a lot of these families can't access benefits because it, it they just don't qualify for legal reasons or they're afraid, even if they do qualify, it's just really hard to gain the trust of these families because they're hesitant, because they are, um, they see programs with, you know, with suspicion. Um, they fear like, okay, sure, maybe I qualify now, but what if in the future when I'm adjusting my legal status, it's going to come back and haunt me. And so that's, that's a barrier that, you know, it, you can't really solve at the local level, but it, it needs to be recognized because it's, it's something that's very real. Yeah. You know, I think fear is something we don't always talk about enough when it comes to access to services for immigrant and refugees. Um, Particularly because, you know, at least for me, right, like I, I have never had to worry about my citizenship or immigration status ever once. So it's easy to not always consider like the, the deep fear because folks are relocating to rural Minnesota for a reason. They want to be there. You know, they want to stay. They want to build their families there in Worthington and in other places but there's this fear that it could be taken away at any moment. And so even though, you know, the, the county or the city has a really large role in improving childcare access, the fact that it's the government providing these services at all, you know, creates, I think, a little bit of, of hesitancy among communities who have very good reason not to trust the bureaucracy. Would you say that that's correct? Yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's well said, Whitney. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and um, right goes back to those same themes of trust that we were talking about. Of you know, as Worthington and other areas work to expand childcare, um, not only is it a inv financial investment, right, to expand an investment of those material resources, um, but there also needs to be a lot of time and energy invested in the process of um, you know doing good outreach that's really um, building trust, that's moving at the speed of trust and taking that time to um, 
share information with families to answer questions. Um, so I think that's another um, challenge and opportunity to really take that time to, um, to talk with families and learn um, from their experiences and respond to questions and doubts. Absolutely. And, you know, from a researcher side, did you guys struggle at all to find families to speak with? Was trust an issue for, for you in your research, research process at all? That's a great question. Um, it was in some ways, and we were lucky to be able to collaborate with local leaders in Worthington. Um, since we are have been studying in Minneapolis and live in Minneapolis, um, you know, just the kind of that distance and not being familiar with all of the local context of Worthington was a challenge. Um, but we were lucky to be able to work with um, people who work in local organizations, local social service providers um, who could pass along our information um, about the work we were doing to families that they knew. And families were then able to, you know, opt in and call us if they were interested in participating. So that was really helpful to be able to work with people in the community who were already trusted and who already provided community members with resources and information. Um, so that was really helpful for us in finding families who were interested to talk. Um, but I think trust was also a challenge in other with other people we interviewed too, um, childcare providers and, and local officials that we were coming from a, a very different context and maybe we didn't um, know all of the reality and what it's like to really live in Worthington if we don't live there ourselves. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit to your outreach with county officials and providers and what they said to you about this process of, of building trust and building community? Well, um, our colleague, uh, Karim, who was uh, the one who reached out to county officials is not present with us today, but um, based on what he told us, it, 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 was, um, it was difficult at times. So a lot of county officials uh, simply, um, it kind of gave him the runaround and uh, yeah. Um, Joey, do you have anything to add? <laughs> Yeah, um, I think there were certain challenges with childcare providers. Um, for example, we um, spoke with family care providers, people who um, have licenses to provide care in their homes. Um, and those were the people who we were able to interview. Um, on the side of childcare centers, it was a little more difficult, um, I think, due to the just the, the setup of that kind of a business model where, um, you know, if we wanted to speak to someone, they had to make sure it was okay with um, the administrators of the program. Um, so that was a bit more challenging to um, kind of gain the trust or get the approval from all the different levels of administration. Um, and then as far as um, people at the county and, and local government levels, uh, there were also some challenges there. Um, I think potentially, um, due to us being from Minneapolis, like I said, um, people from an urban area who might not be um, as familiar with all the particularities of a rural area. Um, and I think there was potentially some um, like interview burnout as well as, you know, there have been other studies conducted about childcare in the area. 
Um, and though our study was taking a, a specific focus on Latino immigrant families, I think it's possible that some people felt they'd already kind of um, spoken about some of these issues. Um, so that could have been another barrier that we encountered as well. Right, because you know, childcare access, particularly in Worthington, I mean, it has been in a way studied to death, right? Mm -hmm. But what I see is really unique about your project is that it actually brings first-generation Latino perspectives to the forefront. And that's something I haven't always seen, particularly in, in a rural context, right? And particularly because isn't it like um, 40% of Worthington is, is identifies as Latino. I mean, we should probably be speaking to those folks, right? If childcare is a big issue and almost half of your population, um, you know, identifies a certain way, like that's, that's a really important data point. And so that is definitely, you know, the, the uniqueness that I see in your project, but you know, we kind of have to wrap up here, but I did want to hear your perspective, both of you, on just one more thing. It's kind of broad, but when we think about childcare access for immigrant families, what should local leaders or policymakers take into consideration? Yeah, that's uh, a big question. Yeah, Lisa, sorry, did you want to start out? Uh, sure, I can start off, but like, I, I'm still thinking about it as well. Um, you know, that's a really difficult question because it, in in my opinion, like I, I feel like local officials get a lot of like heat because they're expected to solve issues that sometimes sometimes the, the, the tools that are necessary are outside of their control. Like again, my it is my belief that immigration reform would go a long way. And and that's something that you can't fix at the local level. So um but I, I guess um speaking locally i would say that what what county officials should be doing perhaps is working with um with the uh, major industries that are already in nobles county to provide child care for their employees and i mean you know i'm just i'm just guessing here but i mean i imagine that would free up a lot of slots in the Childcare providers elsewhere, and so that could be one way to alleviate some of the capacity deficit in Nobles County in Worthington. Um, another thing that they can do is run an aggressive, I guess, campaign to um, eliminate the fears of, that these families have um, regarding programs that they do qualify, and encourage them to to um, to take advantage of of these programs. You know, whether it's like their employers to hand out this information or church groups or community leaders, uh, that's something that local um, officials should be doing more actively. Yeah, I can, Zoe? thanks, I can add on to that. Yeah, I think it's, it's really true that, um, you know, there are many issues that impact this. A lot of them are more maybe at the federal level or beyond the reach of local officials. Um, but at the same time, you know, we learned about a lot of Kind of resources and networks that do exist in Worthington in particular that can be leveraged and that can be supported. So I think that's a really interesting area to look into. Um, for example, you know, families who are interested in what is the process of becoming a, a licensed childcare provider. Um, a lot of families talked about how 
physically taxing the kinds of jobs that they are doing are um, meatpacking shifts, for example. Um, and there are likely parents and families out there who are interested in becoming a licensed provider. Um, so exploring, you know, what would it be like to um, have more Spanish uh, resources for the licensure process to have Spanish language training sessions for people who want to become licensed. Um, I think there is probably um, a network there who is interested, but as Ulysses said, um, kind of building that trust and uh, the information flow of, um, of information in people's preferred languages um, would be a really important step. Um, and in addition to that, um, there's this existing network of people who provide care informally. Um, and so in addition to really increasing the licensed uh, provider side, there are some things that can be done to support um, those people who are kind of filling in, in the gaps in, in a crucial way. Um, so I think, you know, looking into possibilities of providing Spanish language training on early childhood development and other topics to, to all providers, to providers who are family members, um, who are friends and neighbors. Um, that's another way to support um, kind of this existing network of providers who um, fill in the more informal side. Uh, so yeah, really reaching out and building that trust and sharing information with some of those existing networks would be really beneficial. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. And, and thank you for all of your hard work this semester. It's been awesome to collaborate with you. And uh, just so our listeners know, uh, the full report will be available on the Center for Rural Policy's website in early June. And that way you can take a closer look at our, our findings, methodologies, and, and all, all of the, the nitty gritty that we couldn't really get into today. So thank you again, Zoe and Ulysses. Thank, thank you, so you Whitney. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to the Center of Everywhere podcast, where we explore stories of rural Minnesotans who are making a difference in their communities. Rural isn't in the middle of nowhere. It is in the center of everywhere.